This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. This is another podcast of World Wide Wave, the international LGBT news and current affairs show, every week on Australia's first LGBT radio station, Joy 94.9. My name is... um Dr. Nas Mohammed. I am a physician living in the United States in San Francisco. I am also an LGBT asylum seeker from Qatar. I've been living in the United States for 11 years now. Leading up to the current FIFA World Cup, it was just very striking that our voice as the local LGBT community was completely lacking. Uh, We didn't even have an LGBT organization that really could accurately represent us and our voice. The current narrative that was largely painted through the PR and marketing lens for the World Cup was a fairly dangerous narrative for the LGBT community, for that narrative to be the only public narrative. So in May of this year, I came out on BBC News English and Arabic and just been helping bridge that gap. And what is life like for someone who is a part of the LGBT community or identifies as LGBT in Qatar? Well, the thing to note here is that, you know, we are under an authoritative regime for our government structure. So being an LGBT person or not, just um, deviating from the standards that are set is not acceptable. So being an LGBT person on top of that is exceptionally challenging. And the legal constitution in its language allows up to the death penalty. Uh, It's not exercised in Qatar, but up to that is allowed legally. So it really allows a whole lot of room for abuse Families can punish their LGBT children. Some of these can result in honor killings. There are state-sponsored conversion practices. I don't want to call them therapy because they're not therapy. They do the opposite to the mental well-being of the LGBT community. And there is a sect of the law enforcement called the Preventive Security Department that, that reports to the Ministry of Interior in Qatar that hunts LGBT people. They go after them systematically. They target transgender women and femme-expressing men, mostly. These groups are persecuted the most, and they are subjected to prison time and physical punishment. And they're kept in in prison for days to months, to weeks to months even, depending on the case. Some really didn't even engage in any sexual activity. Some were punished strictly based on their gender expression. And I'm working with the Human Rights Watch now to issue uh, a prelim report with them because having our press release, because a full report takes time to prepare through a researcher. But I have arranged for some interviews with survivors with the Human Rights Watch to get a report out. And that is also part of the thing that has been lacking for us. There is no official country conditions report but about what happens to the LGBT community in Qatar. Some people know of some that managed to find a system and they're kind of okay. 
and some are severely abused and are alone. And to the individuals living there, weighing the risk and benefits of speaking up versus remaining silent always then skewed towards remaining silent because there is a lot to lose. Is there something about the treatment of LGBT people in Qatar that people outside of Qatar would find surprising? I guess for a lot of people that are familiar with Qatar, even those that have spent time in Qatar, learning that there is a systematic hunt and physical punishment to the Qatari citizens that are LGBT would be very shocking to them because there are no traces of it happening, nothing visible. They have really good efforts in covering up their traces of doing this. And it's like this um, known secret, if you wish, like, right, that a lot of the locals know about, but a lot of the people that live there don't necessarily know about. People would also might find it shocking that there are a lot of super liberal Qataris <laughs> that cannot show you that part while they're in Qatar. Do you see a path for change? Yeah, so change would look a little bit different and it would come in small steps. It's like, look at any LGBT rights movement that happened anywhere. We didn't go from being accepted to having gay marriage. There were like really right a lot of years in between. And in a place with an authoritative government structure, it will take even longer to have individual rights advanced, but they have been advancing in the region, despite the fact that they're lagging behind. When you look at other causes, like even women's rights, they really, I think, significantly shifted in the last 30 years in Qatar. They're still not fantastic, but they are a lot better. And I do think we have a path to change in Qatar, but if we don't have a way to bring visibility to the issue and to bring visibility to the humans impacted by the issue and their families, we wouldn't even begin thinking about a solution. So visibility, I think, is the first step in influencing change, whatever that path looks like. And then I think the path is gonna have a combination of efforts on and off the ground and I think it will include helping people now that are unsafe. And then it would also require accurate research, reflect and bring visibility to the current conditions that are happening in Qatar for the LGBT community. And it would also need an advocacy arm that would need to be having a higher level conversation. All of these different aspects would be needed. It's not just gonna be like a very simple change. Okay, well, do you wanna tell me about the criticism of the World Cup, of having it in Qatar? Yeah, so like the criticism I have, which I think I share with a lot of people, is that powerful, popular platforms, including sports, fashion, music, are being used by authoritative regimes for reputation laundering, also known as sports washing. And what's happening right now with the 22 FIFA Soccer World Cup is that that's what's happening. The platform and the sport is being used to introduce Qatar to the world 
in a very calculated PR curated way without accurately reflecting on all the issues that Qatar needs to be working on. And, you know, I'm specifically right now addressing the face of this World Cup, David Beckham, who was paid by my government to be the PR face for it. I think what he's doing is very dangerous and it has direct implication on our rights in Qatar as an LGBT community and can really affect our ability to successfully get out. If I remained silent, I think this would have been absolutely tragic this year. But luckily, we've been building some momentum. Um, I did publish an open letter to David Beckham in the British media recently. Unfortunately, his response was blocking me on Instagram, which I then went to the Metro newspaper and talked about, and then he unblocked me, which I hope means we're going to be having a conversation soon. Probably not. But whether he speaks up or not, the point is made. Somebody like David Beckham, who, let's be honest, is not going to be thrown in jail for speaking up about LGBT rights in Qatar, is still unable to speak. He's there. He's silent. He can, but cost him some money, maybe. But he's choosing not to or cannot. And if somebody like him can show up in Qatar and can't or won't speak on LGBT issues, just think of the average LGBT person there with no resources, that doesn't speak English, that doesn't have translatable skill set to leave, to pick pack their stuff and leave the country. What help can they get? Like, what can they do? What's within their power? They would be crushed. Do you think that athletes who are LGBT and who are part of a, a football team, do you think they do have real concern to be in Qatar? Yes. I mean, I, I have connected to some of them. Some of them have reached out to me. Some soccer players did that are out. And I think we've been having good conversations. Some of them initially were worried about their own safety, which after having a little bit of a conversation, it really like their personal safety is not as much of a concern because a huge part of Qatar's persecution is that it's in the shadows. They wouldn't go and do anything publicly, not so publicly. And they definitely, I don't believe, would want to deal with a big PR scandal doing something during the World Cup, especially to a player. So in a way, a player is in a very safe space to speak up. But then some of the concerns that some of these players had were about how they would also be used to sports watch what's going on to us and help with that reputation laundering. And that's part of the messaging I've been trying to shift when people are talking about LGBT rights around this World Cup. I really want it to be inclusive of everyone that's LGBT, including us in Qatar, you know? And Qatar's messaging is, is even further isolating to the local LGBT community. They would come in and be like, you're welcome to come here. We wouldn't touch you even, you can like, you can show up for 28 days and maybe be gay and nobody's going to come after you. But then you need to respect our culture is the big qualifier that they add. And what does that even mean, right? I think part of it means you need to not help people like me, basically, or speak for us. 
And what would you like athletes to be doing to help? Right now, I want people to bring visibility and to really show solidarity, frankly, right? Like, I feel like at home, we're fighting being dehumanized because we're LGBT people. And then across our border, we are fighting being dehumanized because we're Arab and from that background. And that's something I really hope to bridge. We're, we're humans with human stories and struggles. And I would just really love for everyone to just have that level of compassion for us as well that they have for their own when they show up and speak for LGBT rights. Is there anything that fans, like the football fans, people who are going to be watching this, that they can do to kind of help? Yeah, so for the average fan, I worry more about their individual safety going in. So for the average person, if they have decided to go to Qatar, then I would advise them at this point to avoid confrontational visibility. Um, it's like not the right battle to take on and it has very low yield. I think the ones that should take that battle are the teams and players and FIFA, like people that are in positions to do that. But for the average fund, there are ways to show support still and say that you care. I have a petition called Love is Not a Crime. It's in few languages. And I announced it for Pride Month this year. And my goal was to get more signatures on that petition that says love is not a crime and show it to the local LGBT community. And I'm hoping to get more signatures than there are LGBT people in Qatar. I estimate that there are about 300,000 of us roughly based on you know, statistics from other communities and uh, population-based studies. And right now, I think I'm at 70,000 signatures. So I'm hopeful that I would hit maybe or maybe pass that goal. But we're doing a lot of things right now to try to um, bring support and help influence change even beyond the World Cup. But the petition, besides bringing awareness, it really just is there to give a sense of hope, you know, like because at the end of the day, when everybody goes home after the competition and the cameras look away and the press interest fades, the individuals living there still have to navigate all the layers of being an LGBT person that's living there. And that path for individual people will look different and it's going to really be a factor of their resources and their willingness and their stamina and a sense of hope can really be powerful for the individuals. So that's what I'm really would love to tell people this year. Just say that even though they're not in front of you like I am, I'm speaking for us and they would love to be seen and acknowledged and know that outside the authoritative control over them, there is love and acceptance. Did you find it hard to leave Qatar? I mean, I know that you left because, you know, you're a doctor and, you know, you were coming to terms with your sexuality. You knew you weren't going to be able to come out in Qatar. Was that hard to leave your home, even if it was a hard place to live? Yes, it really was. Like, it's like a huge part of my identity. Like, 
I felt like, even though I came out, I've been locally out as gay, like since 2011, but not like this level of out. But I just didn't really share my background with people. I didn't share uh, what I grew up with. I didn't share my journey. And then I just felt a little detached in a way because I just really lost a huge part of my identity. So that that was hard. But just saying goodbye was still tough. You know, like I lost a lot of a lot of things I lost besides my cultural upbringing traditions and things like that. I also lost my family. I lost a lot of friendships and, you know, went through my stages of grief with that. Um, and I'm here today and I'm grateful and, and happy and accept the cards I was dealt, but it was very hard. What was it like being the first person to kind of publicly in the media come out as gay from Qatar? So this has been a storm I wasn't quite ready for, to be quite honest. Like, I didn't expect all of the things that happened to successfully happen. But coming out, it's just such an important thing for us as an LGBT community everywhere, like, and including us in Qatar. Like, I think this coming out moment is really important for us. And it connected me, first of all, to the larger LGBT community in Qatar. So even individuals that have literally nobody else that knows about them as LGBT people in Qatar that are not connected to small circles were able to find me and reach out to me. And I was able to connect some of them to researchers and human rights organizations to issue reports. So hopefully some of these will come out. But then also organizations like uh, Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, and the International Lesbian and Gay Association, the people that have been trying to really negotiate and discuss LGBT rights in the region reached out because there hasn't been a person that has come out before. And then, of course, I'm getting all the hate. And then the hate is from, I'll, have, I'll tell you something, the hate is from the conservatives everywhere, everywhere, literally, all countries. I mean, wow, <laughs> LGBT people are universally hated, unfortunately. We are a minority after all, right? It's like interesting how everybody in different country has their own twist on why being an LGBT person is a threat. <laughs> and it's just tragic. They all dehumanize us for different reasons, right? So a lot of it was religious based. So Muslims and Christians attacked me the most. But then they were like straight up xenophobic attacks, like from people that said all Arabs should be dead. It doesn't matter if I'm getting straight. And then, and then there were attacks from quote unquote um, society and family value organizations. And those were all over, you know, in Europe, UK, and the US that also thought that I'm disrupting the family image. And I don't know. They found some like bizarre logic to find me on the internet and attack me. You said that a lot of the like mistreatment and punishment of LGBT people in Qatar is done kind of in the shadows. Yes. And I was just wondering if that if you mean by that that like day to day it's kind of hard to see if you're living in Qatar. Very palpable. Like you, like, you know, knowing the LGBT people in Qatar and seeing them day to day, 
they are actively hiding the fact that they're LGBT. And if you had an LGBT Qatari, for example, and you're within a Qatar, they must hide that. Like they can't show it in a way. It can be found out if you wish. The persecution that I said happens in the shadow, I'm saying the arrest. So when they arrest an LGBT person, their arrests are not public. They lure them to places that are more private, without cameras, without people, and then take them from there to prison and then threaten them with more violence if they speak up after that happens. And that's been going on for a really long time in Qatar. Is there pretty clear messaging, like outright messaging from the leaders that being LGBT is wrong? Um, Right now, they have internal messaging and external messaging, and they are not the same. Like internally in Qatar, they're still talking about protecting the society from us. And then externally, they come up and say gay fans are welcome, which is driving me crazy. So I have a lot of eyes on me from the Qatari community. If somebody from Australia is hearing this and has a platform that they would like to use to bring awareness, you're more than welcome to reach out to me. You can find me um, on, on my Instagram at Dr. Nas. And I will also be working on an active protest during the World Cup and we'll be sharing 28 LGBT stories over the 28 days of the competition just to combat sports washing and covering up the persecution of the local community. Is there something that gives you hope about this situation? Oh, that's a good question. (laughs) Yes. I got connected to a lot of people globally this year and... One thing that has still in its very early stages, but just earlier today, actually, before we fall, I learned that my nonprofit organization is now registered with the state of California. So this will be the first LGBT nonprofit organization that will be representing the voices of the LGBT community in the Gulf region. And I'm working with different international LGBT organizations and advocacy organizations to really strategize about how to support the local community in and outside of Qatar, the LGBT community, but also work on bringing true authentic visibility to the living conditions of the gay community in these countries without the filter of the government so that there is true visibility and real conversations about change can take place. And then I'm exploring also having an advocacy arm to, towards it. It's all super new, but that's that gives me hope because what I'm doing right now is, tr- is really transitioning from a one-man show, an effort of one person to an organization with a mission statement that can continue. And is there anything that you think is the next step for LGBT people in Qatar to kind of change what's happening? I mean, that's a tough question. So for them themselves, like what I'm telling them right now in in the local community is to use my platform. So I'm telling them my platform is yours. You can be anonymous. You have nothing to lose. You have information. Give me that information and let me speak up on your behalf and a lot of them have but a lot of them haven't yet there is a lot of you know fear and skeptic view on what can change but if you do nothing then nothing is going to change silence is not going to bring change speaking up may 
and I'm willing to take that chance. Thank you for talking to me today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me and for discussing the topic. Thanks for listening to another podcast from Worldwide Wave, the show that takes you around the globe one country at a time. Worldwide Wave is the international news and current affairs show on Australia's LGBT radio station Joy 94.9. You can listen live every Tuesday night on 94.9 FM in Melbourne and online at joy.org.au. You'll find all our podcasts at joy.org.au slash Worldwide Wave or follow us on Facebook for the latest international LGBT news Search W3Joy on Facebook now. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.